The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. In the first five uh, chapters uh, of the book of Romans, uh, God explains how the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ has changed our legal standing with God. Think about that. That's that word that he gave us, justification. So he made us just as if we'd never sinned. He changed our legal standing with God. Legally before God, we were guilty. All the world is guilty before God. So Romans chapter 1, right? Uh, the heathens, they, the, those sinners, they need the gospel. Romans chapter 2, uh, what do you say? Self-righteous, the religious person needs the gospel. Romans chapter 3, everybody needs the gospel. And then he, uh, he goes and he declares to us justification. Chapter number four and tells us what we receive because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many glad that because Jesus died on the cross for you, you've been given his resume, you've been given his record, you've received his righteousness. And so legally, he's declared you're standing before God to be righteous. How many uh, sometimes you don't feel like you're justified? You don't feel like you, you know, we ask that question, how many don't feel saved? Uh, it's Sunday morning, 11 o'clock, and uh, Maybe uh, you're having a hard time, or maybe it's just one of those days, and there's days where we just don't feel it. You know, we're not feeling it. Uh, But the truth is, is it's not rooted in our feelings. It's rooted in His righteousness, what He's done for us, and the fact uh, of what the Bible teaches us about our salvation. So I'm glad that even if I don't feel saved, I am saved. I'm glad that even if I uh, I sin, it doesn't take away the work that what Jesus Christ has done on the cross of Calvary. And so he declares that to us in the first five chapters. And then there's a shift because we get into chapter six and he begins to talk in a different language. Before he's like, it's not of works. Uh, it's not about your righteousness. It's not about what you've done. It's not about your performance. Chapter six, he just completely shifts because now he's talking to someone who has believed by faith the gospel. He's talking to someone who's been saved by grace through faith. Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. How many know that? So if you're adding your religion, you're adding your background, you're adding your heritage, you're adding your home, you're adding your denomination to Jesus, uh, the Bible declares that that's not salvation. You've not been born again. But if you've been born again, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, the Bible tells us. And in chapter 6, he asks a question. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, because of these things... What shall we say then? Now what do we have to say for ourselves? He says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's his answer, church? What's those two words? Read them with me. God forbid. What's he saying? No way. No way. We're not going to continue in sin that grace may abound. Hey, listen, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Uh, When we were dead in our trespasses and sins... Jesus Christ has given us his new life. He's given us, through the gospel, the power uh, to be free from sin. And so he's saying, God forbid. Verse number 15 is kind of a a partner verse. Look at verse number 15. Because you you ever hear someone say, verse number 14, for you're not under law but under grace? Well, we're not under the law. We're under grace. We're not under the law. We're under grace. You ever hear somebody talk, uh, say that as a believer who in context is saying, I don't need to obey certain parts of God's word because I'm not under the law, I'm under grace. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. If you read the context of that verse that most people quote out of context, look at verse number 15. What then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? 
What's the next two words? God forbid. If somebody's trying to use that verse as a way of saying, now I have a license to live as I want, I can choose and do what I want. I don't have to obey certain parts of Scripture because I'm saved, so my, uh, my soul is secure. I have everlasting life. How many know that Jesus didn't just save you for the life to come? He saved you for this life. How many know that Jesus didn't just save your soul? He saved you body, soul, and spirit. You know how, how we know that? Because when Jesus comes back, what does the Bible say? That we're to comfort each other with the words, uh, these words. What's he say to us? But the dead in Christ shall up, shall rise first. What's he talking about? Is he talking about their soul rising from the grave? No, he's talking about their body. Absent from the body. What's absent from the body? The soul. Present with the Lord. What's present with the Lord? The soul. So when we die, what happens, believers? If we die before the coming of the Lord, uh, the the coming of the Lord is not going to prevent those that sleep. You know, they're sleeping in Jesus right now. So people that die, what, what happens to them? Well, their body goes in the ground, right? We bury them. What happens to their soul? Absent from the body. It's absent from the body. It's present with the Lord. It's with Jesus. It's with God in heaven. So what happens to that body? Well, we know it decays. We know it's destroyed over time. We know it's there in the grave. But what's going to happen to it? The Bible says that there's going to be a trump sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. The Bible says that we're going to meet the Lord in the air. Those that alive and remain, when they leave here, if you're alive during the rapture, what's going? Just your soul? Your body left behind? No, no. You're going body, soul, and spirit. The complete man. You know why? Because when God saves a man, when God saves a woman, he saves the whole man. He saves the whole woman. He saves all of us. He doesn't just save us for the future, for the life to come. He saves us for this life. If in this life only we, are, uh, we have hope in Jesus, we're men most miserable. It's not just this life, but it's also the life to come. It's not just the life to come, but it's also this life. We have hope in Jesus today because we know that Lord Jesus Christ is coming. And when he comes, if we've died before he comes, we're going to be raised uh, incorruptible, the Bible says. This corruption is going to put on incorruption. This mortal's going to put on immortality. He's going to give us a new body. The Bible teaches us that. So does God care about our bodies, bottom line? Yes, he does. God cares about our bodies. Does he care about what we do with our bodies? Yes, he does. Did he leave our bodies to us and save our souls? No, he hasn't. Uh, the Bible says that all of us have been redeemed, our body, our soul, and spirit. And there's some things here, number one, that God wants me to know. That God wants me to know. The first ten verses is a repetition of the word know. He uses it in verse number three. He uses the word in verse number six. He uses the word in verse number nine. Look at it in verse number three. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus, were baptized unto his death. Look at verse number, uh, look at verse number six. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Look at verse number 9. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more death, hath no more dominion over him. Uh, He says over and over again, there's something I want you to know. How many know that as a believer, it's important for you to learn God's word, for you to know God's word? It's not enough for you just to know that you're saved this morning. The Bible says you need to know God's word You know, uh, Christian living depends on Christian learning. Duty is always founded on doctrine. So the Bible tells us what we learn of God's word is important. If Satan can keep a Christian ignorant, he can keep a Christian impotent. You think about that. He, He wants it so that you don't perform the way that you're supposed to. 
You know, the, the devil is not happy that you've been born again. And by the way, he can't do anything about that if you're a believer. But you know what he wants to do? He wants to keep you ignorant. You know what the Bible says over and over again? I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to know. You know, uh, God wants you to know him. God wants you to know his word. You think that God gave you his holy word this morning so that you could not know him? You know, how many know that as you open God's word, there's more in here than just gospel? There's gospel, but how many know you can get the gospel from a gospel track? You can get the gospel from a wordless book. You can get the gospel from the words of somebody's mouth. But there's so much more in God's word than just gospel. You know, a lot of people say, well, as long as the gospel's there, that's all that's important. No, no, there's growth in God's word. The Bible says if uh, we're newborn babes, we're to desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. Jesus said, man shall not live. Are you with me this morning? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. You know the best thing you can do? We have some folks that have just recently accepted Christ as our Savior, as your Savior. You know what you need to do? Get in God's Word. Read God's Word. Study God's Word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible says the word of God, all scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. What? That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The Bible tells us that he's given us, uh, he's given us pastors and teachers for what? To preach the word of God for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How many know that if you are ignorant to what the word God says, you will never know how God wants you to live as a believer. You know, God, God wants you to live a certain way. You know that God wants you to live in a way that brings him glory. Think about that. God wants me to live in a way that brings him glory. And some people say, well, I just don't know how God wants me to live. Well, the Bible says that, you know, they used to ask that question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? You know, God gave us four books in the Bible to answer that question. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you want to know what Jesus would do, read the Bible. Jesus shows us how he'll respond to those that hate him, to those that are hurtful to him, to his enemies. Jesus shows us how to walk and how to talk and how to forgive and how to love and how to, uh, how to, how to live this life. Jesus shows us that, and then he says that we should what? Follow in his steps. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you. I, I want to do something in your life. I want to make you into something that brings me glory. You know, as a believer, we can't just say, well, I've been saved. Now, now nothing matters how I live my life. Some people, they, they make the word of God a none effect in their life. They have the form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. Because they talk about, hey, the gospel, the gospel. Does the gospel matter? Absolutely. But what do we do with believers after they receive the gospel? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. Isn't that what Jesus said? Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He said, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But then why is the church of today stopping with that? I've, I've, I've won you to Christ. I've baptized you. Some people don't even do that. And then they don't teach them to observe what God's word says. You know what God's word says? Hey, teach God's children to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. You know, it's not legalism to teach people to obey every precept of God's word. It's teaching them to love God how God loves them. In other words, when I keep God's commandments, I'm loving God. Get this, though. You cannot make God love you more by keeping his commandments. That's a wrong teaching. You know, some people teach as if, if I obey God, that God loves me more. How many know that you can't make God love you more by your performance? 
You will never with your performance gain merit or earn or add to the love of God. How many know that the love of God, nothing can separate you from that? Nothing can separate you from that. So your performance is not why God loves you. In that while we were yet sinners, God commended his love toward us. God loved us while we were sinners. He doesn't wait for us to be good to show love to us as his children. How many know if you're a parent, you love your kids whether they perform well or not? But how many know that you're not pleased with them when they don't perform well? As a believer, you know what I want? I want more than God's love. I want his pleasure. I want his favor. I want him to be proud of me. I want to bring him joy. The Bible says, uh, David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. You think about how uh, we as believers can bless the Lord. How do we bless the Lord? How are we a blessing? The same way children are a blessing to their parents, when they obey them, when they trust them, when they follow them, when they, when they go the way their parents show them. Well, it's a blessing, isn't it? Is it a blessing when your kids disobey you? No, it's not a blessing. Uh, how we bless the Lord is by obeying the Lord. How we love the Lord is by obeying the Lord. How many know that God loves you and he loves you completely? He'll never love you more. But how many know this morning that you need to love God more? Anybody love God completely? Holy? How does he tell us to love? That thou shalt love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. How many struggling with that like I am? Because I don't always love him with all my strength. I don't always love him with all my heart. Anybody ever have your heart in love with something different? You give your attention, you give your time, you give your focus, you give your energy, you give that to something other than to God first. Hey, loving God is loving him with all my heart. How many know this morning you need to love God more? I need to love God more. We love God by keeping his precepts and by keeping his word. And by the way, every word's a pure word. Every word's a perfect word. God's given it to us so that we could know it. And God wants us to know some things. This is information at the head level. What does he want us to know? Well, look at verses 2 through 5. He wants you to know that you're dead to sin. He wants you to know that you're dead to sin. He speaks in this illustration, verses 2 through 5, he gives an illustration. What's the illustration he gives? You see it in the text? It's baptism, isn't it? Baptism is the illustration that the Holy Spirit uh, gives Paul to give to us here as he writes the book of Romans, as he pens the book of Romans. We understand this is God's word. God's telling us, hey, let me show you this illustration of what I mean when I say you're dead to sin. How many know that baptism is not a picture of life? It's a picture of death. It's not a picture of life. It's a picture of death. That's what we look at 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 baptism. You know, some people that kind of preach and teach baptism for salvation need to get that because baptism doesn't bring life. Baptism is about death. Baptism is about being buried in the likeness of his death. It's about being raised to walk in newness of life. But I tell you, baptism doesn't give life. Baptism doesn't give eternal life. You know, there's a lot of teaching, especially up here in the Northeast. We live in a Catholic center of the world. Uh, there's a lot of Catholics around here. You go down south, there's a lot of Baptists everywhere. You, you come up here, there's a lot of Catholics. I'm not saying that they're not, but this is the area that we live. How many grew up learning that baptism is what you need in order to wash away original sin? In other words, when you were a baby, you baptized that baby. Why? So that you could wash away their sins. You could wash away that original sin. You sent them uh, to those classes, and uh, you, you went there. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, they, they, pe- people took their baby. And by the way, can I share this with you? You didn't do that because the Bible told you to do that. You did that because the church told you to do that. Because you'll never find that anywhere in the Bible. 
Uh, open your Bibles and find me a place where there's one infant ever baptized. It's not there. You think that if God wanted us to baptize infants, he could have told us in his word. He did tell us. Why didn't he tell us? Because he didn't want us to do that. And the reason why is if you go to the, if you go to the, uh, the New Testament, the book of Acts, and read it, the Ethiopian eunuch comes. He's a religious man. He's reading the Bible. He doesn't understand the Bible. He goes, and there's a body of water. And I'm sure somewhere along the way, he was introduced to uh, the method, the mode, the, the illustration, the picture, and baptism. And he says, he says, here's water. He said, can I get baptized? And you know what, Paul, uh, what uh, Philip says to him? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you can. If you're saved, you can be baptized. But if you're not saved, you don't get baptized. Baptism isn't for salvation. Baptism doesn't add to my salvation. Baptism is illustration. It's a picture. He's speaking literally and he's speaking figuratively. Literally, he's talking about what's a literal interpretation of the word baptism. You know, we didn't have an English word for the word baptize. Baptize was an English word. Uh, it was from the Greek word baptismo. We didn't have a word for that. The, the translators of King James, when they got there, they said, we don't have a word for this. We have to transliterate this word. So they came up with the word baptism. You know what the word baptism means? To immerse under, to put under. That's why we baptize by immersion. Not only do we baptize by immersion because of the meaning of the word, but we baptize by immersion because of the example of the word. Everybody in the Bible, including Jesus, that was baptized was baptized as an adult immersed underneath the water. That's the example that we see. Every person in the Bible was baptized that way. And so we, we baptize that way. But what is it? Isn't it an outward expression of an inward decision? Why are we a Baptist church? We baptize by immersion. Historically, uh, the Catholics used to call them Anabaptists, rebaptizers. They were rebaptizing all the Catholic people that got baptized as kids. Uh, they were being rebaptized in all those rebaptizers because doctrinally, we believe what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches about baptism is that it's a picture, it's an outward expression of an inward decision. It doesn't save me. There's nothing holy about that well water, let me tell you. There's nothing holy that saves anybody. Uh, when I got baptized, and I got baptized in that baptismal tank up there in the log cabin before this building was built, when I got baptized, I didn't get baptized to be saved. I got baptized because I was saved. It was showing a picture of that, the fact that Christ had, that I had been buried in the likeness of his death. What was buried? My old man. What was buried? My old flesh. What was buried? My old desires. What was buried? My old will. That was buried in the likeness of his death. But I'm raised, and when am I raised? I'm raised, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You know, when you got baptized, you declared that Jesus Christ was your Lord, that he was your Savior, that you were going to follow him with all of your life, that you were going to follow after his word, that you were going to be obedient. You know, a lot of people, they get baptized, it's like, it's like a re religious ritual, just like when they were kids. I got baptized, I don't need to go to church anymore. I'm done, right? Took the classes, went through the ritual, I'm good. No, no, no. It's an it's a expression of a life now that I'm going to live. I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. It's a commitment. How many know if you've been married that the wedding day is not the most important thing? That it's how you live your life after the day. Did you get me? You know what people do? They spend all their money on their wedding day, and they don't pay attention to the life they have afterwards. You know, they're not thinking about the fact that, yeah, on my wedding day, before a lot of witnesses, I'm going to give a vow, but how many know that it's important that you keep your vow after that day? The point of giving the vow is that I'm going to live the life, right? The point of making the promise is that I'm going to keep the promise. You know, when I said to God on the day that I got baptized, God, I'm going to follow you, I need to be serious about that. Were you serious about that when you followed the Lord? 
hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. My life is new now, and I'm dead to sin. He gives that illustration. It's clear then that the believer cannot deliberately live in sin since he has a new relationship to sin because of his identification with Christ. The literal meaning of baptism is the immersion. The figurative meaning is the identification. You say, what are you talking about? Well, in the Old Testament, uh, the Bible says that those Israelites were baptized into Moses by their crossing of the Dead, uh, Red Sea. What did he mean? Were they baptized? Was Moses out in the middle of the Red Sea when it parted, baptizing all those Israelites? That's not what was going on. What the Bible was teaching was that they were figuratively identifying with Moses who rather would follow God to Canaan than stay back in Egypt. They were identifying with Moses. They were identifying with God by crossing over. Hey, at that Passover, they were identifying with God by obeying his word. What does God say about us? We're baptized. We're to identify with God now in our life. We find our identity no longer in the world, but we find our identity in Christ. Where's your identity today? Are you known? You remember how you used to be known? What was your reputation before Jesus? Maybe you were the party animal. Maybe you were drunk. Maybe, maybe you were somebody who ran around and did things that you're not proud of. The Bible says, in such were some of you, but now you are clean. You know, see, your former identity is not your present identity. What you were before you are not now. How you were known before is not how you're known now. Your name before is not your name now. Hey, Saul, now you're Paul. Hey, 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 now your name is changed. Jacob, you're Israel. God, God gave you a new name. God put your name down the Lamb's book of life, and now you have a new life. You have a new name. You're not to continue in sin that grace may abound. You're to say, I'm free, I'm dead to sin. Hey, do you know that this morning? Number two, you should know to know that you should never again serve sin. Serve sin. What does that mean? I don't want to serve what I'm free from. I don't want to serve what I'm dead to. Think about this. What did God do for us the day that we got saved? Think about the illustration of, of when I uh, was lost. I was a country, I was a life that was occupied by an enemy. The throne, the authority of my country, my life, was an enemy. I was occupied by the world, the flesh, the devil. They had control, dominion, a reign over me. Think about that. I didn't sin before because that made me a sinner. Well, my first sin, I sinned, and then I became a sinner. No, no. I sinned as an unbeliever because I was under the reign, the control, the power, the authority of sin and Satan and this world. That's what the Bible says. Now, the Bible says that Before salvation, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Think about this. You were dead in sins. That's what God, you say, well, I was alive. But God says this, you were dead in your sins. Now what he says to you is you're dead to sin. You used to be dead in sin, now you're dead to sin. What's he saying? I came in and I overthrew that enemy that was in your life. You know what Jesus did? He came in, he conquested our life. He overthrew the king that was on the throne. He he expelled the armies that occupied your life. The sinfulness. Hey, principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, they were in authority in your life. They were in your control. Jesus said, hey, you are of your father the devil. What was he saying? You're under his occupation. You're under his authority. You're under his control. But now in Christ, what did Jesus do? 
Well, Jesus delivered us from the power, from the authority, from the one that's sitting on the throne of our life. And you know what he did? He came in and sat on the throne. And now he's in authority. Now he's in control. And his armies are there. But here's the illustration. You know what happens? The old enemy is outside the wall now. You know what he does? He oppresses us. He comes and he attacks us from without. Before he did it from within. Now from without. He's not in authority. He's not in power. He's not on the throne. But he sure does bother us, doesn't he? Anybody get bothered this week by that old enemy? It could be the world, the flesh, or the devil. You know, you got that old man that's within. You know what he does? Remember what you were. Remember what you did. Remember how much fun you... Remember those desires. Remember those old, those old desires, those old cravings, those old wants that you had. Oh, those were in power, but now Jesus, oh, he overthrew it. Oh, he's on the throne. Now it has no authority in your life. Think about that. That's what God's declared. He said, that's what I want you to know. I want you to know that you should never again serve sin. How many know there's a difference between being tempted by being pulled away, by being enticed by sin, and serving sin? There's a big difference. How many know there's a difference between struggling in sin and not caring that you did sin? You know, a lot of Christians, they'll come, they'll say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved because I'm struggling with my sin. I said, that's a wonderful indication that you are saved. Because before you were saved, you never struggled in your sin. You sinned and you didn't care. Think about that. When you sinned before salvation, you could care less. It was like, it was not like, oh, God, God's going to strike me dead because of what? Now, you might have had some kind of moral compass that kept you from some things. But what I'm saying is you just didn't, you didn't live your life and go, I wonder what God thinks about what I'm doing right now. If you live your life that way and you're saying, I wonder what God thinks about what I'm doing right now, that's a good indication that he's on the throne. It's a good indication that he's in your life. He never said that you're not going to struggle. He never said that he, he's not going to, hey, by, by the way, he's going to throw those, hurl those fiery darts at you. He's going to, from the outside, those archers, they're still firing at you. They're still shooting at you. Hey, put on the whole armor of God, the Bible says. Why? Because he's going to assail you. He's going to attempt to lure you outside. You know what he wants to, to do with believers that are inside the church of the living God? He wants to get you outside the church. He wants to get you from the church. He wants to get you out. Why does he want to do that? Because he wants to devour you. He's like a roaring lion. He's saying, oh, come outside the walls. You know what the church walls are? Protection. It's God's blessing. It's why every person should be a serving, committed member of a local New Testament church because you have God's protection when you're part of the church. You have God's oversight in your life. God, through His Spirit, uses pastors and teachers and people, spiritual advisors in your life. Why? To help you, to protect you. You know, the devil says, I'll just come outside. You can make it on your own. The wolf loves the sheep that thinks it can wander and make it. You with me? You weren't made to wander. You were made to follow the shepherd and stay with the sheep. Did you hear me this morning? You were not made to wander. You were made to follow the shepherd and stay with the sheep. And you know what I had this morning? I want to make very clear. I'm not the shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. But I'm an under shepherd. I'm a shepherd that God's put over this flock. You know, God has all his sheep. God has all his church. God's given me oversight over this flock, 
but he's the chief shepherd. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm trying to live in light of the fact that I know the chief shepherd shall appear. He's coming. You know what I want? I want him to find me faithfully shepherding his flock and preaching his word. You know, so important as we look at God's word, God wants me to know that I'm dead to sin, that I should never again serve sin. Number two, what God wants me to believe. Look at verse number 11. Look at it. Don't just believe what I say. Look at God's word. Verse number 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be what? Come on, church, wake up. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be what? Dead, indeed, unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How many know there's a difference between knowing and believing something? Big difference. Big difference. God says, I want you to know some things. But then in verse number 11, he says, I want you to do what? He uses a word that we think is a southern word. What's that word you think you hear that southern drawl when you read it? I reckon. You know, I reckon. What's that word, reckon? What's he talking about? That's not a southern word. That's a Bible word. That's a Bible word. That, that word existed before the south in America existed. You know, that, that's a Bible word. It means, it means believe what you know, believe it to be true. You are taking, the word literally means to put it to your own account. To believe that what God says in his word is really true in your life. Let me help you. What God says, hey, listen, I, he wants you to know is information at the head level, but this is inspiration at the heart level. If you have a check, this is endorsing the check. Did you get me? If you have a check, this is endorsing the check. You know what you do when you endorse the check? You say, that money's mine. Right? Now, why you endorse it? Your employer gives you the check. You know the check exists. You read the amount on the check. You hope that what they wrote on the check is in their account. You with me? Can I share something with you? God never writes checks that you can't cash. You can cash every check. Every check God writes, you can take to the bank. Every check God writes, you can put your name on and endorse. Anybody endorse a check? You write your name on the back? That's mine. It goes in my account. It's mine. I earned it. It's mine. You know what God's saying? Endorse the check of what I told you. Believe what I told you to know. Hey, if you believe, how many know that belief affects behavior? What I truly believe is going to affect what I do. Some people know things, but they don't believe things. How many of you ever struggle with that in your life as a believer? You know all things work together. And we know all things work together for good to them that love God. You know it, but you don't believe it. Come on, I know we're being honest this morning. How many, how many ever get to that situation where the Bible says you know all things, but how many need to believe that verse? You need to believe that verse. How many need to endorse that check? How many need to put your name on the back of that and say, God, that's mine? God, I don't, I don't believe all things work together for good in my life, but I need to. How many going through a hard time right now, you need to endorse that check? God wrote it to you. He said, hey, listen, and we know. Do you love God? Are you called according to his purpose? Then you should know that all things work together for good. But anybody like me this morning, I'm saying like me this morning, that when I'm going through a hard time, 
I fail to believe, I fail to endorse, I fail to put my heart into that verse and say, that's my verse. That's what God said to me. I know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to His purpose. How many know that His grace is sufficient for you? Let me ask you a question. How many of you believe that His grace is sufficient for you? It's one thing to know it. It's another thing to believe it. You know what some of us need to do as we read God's Word? You know the best way that God, this is what David said, I will hide God's Word in my heart. What's he saying? I'm endorsing the check. What God says, I know. What God says, I believe. I put it in my heart. How many know it's in your head sometimes, but it's not in your heart? Oh, it could be in your head to follow Jesus. Oh, it could be in your head to obey Jesus. Oh, it could be in your head that you believe every word of God. But do you in your heart believe it? Do you believe that nothing shall separate you from the love of God? Do you believe that? Or do you just know that? Do you believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or do you just know that? You know, some people know about Jesus. They know about his death, burial, and resurrection. But they never endorse the check. They never put their name on it. For whosoever shall call. You know what that is? That's you endorsing the check. That if thou shall confess. You know what that is? That's you endorsing the check. That's you saying, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus, and I believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, then I can be saved and I can be born again. How many know that there was a day as a believer where you endorsed that check? You said, I believe it. I believe it. I don't just believe it with my head. I believe it in my heart. It's for me. It's mine. It's my promise. God gave it to me. Listen, you need that in order to be saved. But you need that in order to live the Christian life. How many glad for the exceeding great and precious promises of God's word? But how many of them do you believe? How many of them have you put in your heart that you might not sin? You know why I sin and why you sin as believers? Not because it has rain over us. Not because we serve it, but because we don't believe God's word in that area of our life. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. You know, some of us, we struggle with that. But you know what God's saying? Whatever area of your life where you don't believe my word, you're going to sin in. You're going to sin in. You know, I struggle in areas of my life because I just have not endorsed the check of what God's word says I am in Jesus. How many know this morning that you're not perfect, but how many know that God declares you to be righteous? You know what you need to do today? Endorse that check. You just say, God, I don't feel perfect, and I know I'm not, and I'm not righteous, and I know I fall short of your glory, but I believe what your word says about who I am, and let me stop finding my identity in my performance and my works, and let me start finding my identity in your word and what you say, because I believe what your word says. Hey, the, the worst way that you can try to live this Christian life is in your flesh. Trying to act on what you know instead of act on what you believe. Put it in your heart. Believe it. Endorse the check today. What does God want you to believe? Well, he wants you to believe what he said you should know. Reckoning is a matter of faith that issues in action. It's like endorsing the check. This is inspiration at the heart level. Reckoning is not claiming a promise. Reckoning is acting on a fact. How many have ever heard name it and claim it? It's not naming and claiming it. It's acting on it. 
You need to stop naming stuff and claiming stuff and you start acting on it. You mean, what do I do? Live in light of what you know in God's word. How do I know a bad way to live your life is how you feel? How you feel. Anybody live life that way? Ever? Not, how many have a good friend that lives life by their feelings? Not you, but your good friend. You know, we struggle with that, don't we? Because how we feel, how many know that how you feel is not always real? I know perception is reality, but how many know in the Christian life perception is not reality? Perception is not reality. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. I'm not living by how I feel. I'm living on the fact of God's word, and I believe it, and I'm endorsing that, and I'm acting on those truths in God's word. I need to act on what God's word says. In other words, believe you're dead to sin. Believe. Don't just, hey, don't just have a mental assent to it and say, you know, I know that God's word says I'm dead to sin. Believe that you're dead to sin. No, maybe uh, you're serving sin or you're allowing sin to have rain where it should not have rain because you're not believing that. Believe you're alive unto God. Believe you're alive unto God. And know what verse 11 says? This is not my outline. Look at verse number 11. Likewise reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then number three. Number one, what God wants me to know. Number two, what God wants me to believe. Number three, what God wants me to do. What God wants me to do. You say God wants me to do something? I thought he did everything. As far as your salvation is concerned, he did everything. But how many know that life didn't stop the day you got saved? Does God want me to do something? Come on, church, help me. Does God want me to do something? Why did he give me this if he didn't want me to do anything? Why give me the instructions? Some of us are like the guys that don't read the instructions, right? Well, I don't need that. I don't need to do anything it says. I know better. You don't know better than this, and neither do I. Are you with me? You don't know any better than this, and neither do I. I don't know how to be a father, a husband, a pastor apart from this. You know, some of you are trying to be a father, a mother. You're trying to be a parent apart from this. You can't know how to be a mom and dad apart from this. You say, I- I'm trying to be a-, a good husband, a good wife. You can't be a good husband, a good wife apart from this. You don't have to just know this. You've got to believe it. You've got to endorse the check and say, this is what God says I am as a husband. This is what God says I am as a wife. This is who I need to be. I need to act on it because I believe it. Come on. Do you believe it? You know, that's what word amen means. I agree. I'm in agreement. You know why sometimes it's good for you to say amen? And I'm not saying you say it for my ears or loud enough for anybody else to hear it. But maybe while you're sitting there, maybe you should whisper it to yourself a few times so you can say, hey, I'm in agreement with what God's word says. I agree. I agree. I agree. Amen. It's what I agree. I'm, I'm endorsing it. I'm saying I'm behind that. You know, I, I know what God's word says is true, what God wants me to do. Well, here's what God wants you to do. It's found five times in verses 12 through 23. It's a little word called yield. Now, how many know in New Jersey we have no idea what the word yield means? No idea. We see that little upside-down triangle and the word Y-I-E-L-D, and we say, that means hammer down. 
Right? Isn't that what it means? That means that the oncoming traffic, that means the oncoming traffic has the right of way in New Jersey. That means when I'm coming up the ramp, I can hammer down and cut that guy off in that lane. And if he doesn't move over, shame on him. Because he should have saw me coming. You know, some of us, that's how we treat God. You know what God says? Yield. The word yield doesn't mean hammer down and do it your way. The word yield means God has the right of way. God has the right to have his way in your life. How many know that's hard? How many know that driving that way is hard? Go ahead. I don't feel like a man when I do that. Go ahead. You have your way. Go ahead. You ever, you ever wave somebody in and you just, I hate this. Let somebody go in front of you. Come on. We've all been there. That person who wants to cut in line. Ever do this and, you know, there's somebody trying to edge their way in and you just pull up and put your bumper right on the bumper of the person. You're not getting in here. You're not getting in here. You know, some of us, we do that with God, don't we? Don't we do that with God? You're not getting in here. This my way or the highway. This my life. Hey, it's my life. I can live it how I want to live it. God, thanks for saving me, but now I'm going to live my life. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is about yielding. But notice what he says to yield. He says, yield your body. Yield your members. You know what the word members means? It means your body members. I'm not going to get into all the gory details of every organ of your body, but I'm telling you, every part of your body belongs to God. And what you do with it matters to God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Does God care about what I wear? Does God care about what I do? Does God care about where I go? Does God care? Yes, He does. Everything I do is supposed to be to His glory. Now, it doesn't matter whether some people want to define it that way or not. It's what God's Word says. In other words, I'm to yield my instruments. What does He say in in Romans 12, verse 1? Brethren, I beg you. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your... Come on, if you know it, say it. That you present your... A living sacrifice. You know, in the Old Testament, all they had was dead sacrifices. You know what God said now? He wants living sacrifices. You know, some people have been called on to give their lives for Christ, in a sense of to die for Christ. He's not called every Christian to die for Jesus, but he's called every Christian to live for Jesus. He's not called us all to die, but he's called us all to live. You think about that. Oh, that's that's for, you know, that's for pastors, and, you know, that's for people that are really kind of radical about their faith and about, you know, obeying God's Word. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a radical Christian. That's not radical Christianity. That is Christianity. That is Christianity. In other words, I'm going to live and give Him the right 
a way in every area of my life. God, it's not what I want, it's what you want. Jesus was the perfect example of us. As he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. God, it's what you want, it's what you want, it's what you want, even when it's going to cause me pain, even though it means obedience to the death of the cross, even though it means difficult situations. God, it's what you want. Paul said, even if that means thorns, even if that means sickness, even though, if that means hardship, God, it's not what I want, it's what you want. How many, when your prayer life sounds more like you telling God what to do than you submitting to God and saying, God, you tell me what to do? You know, some of us would have a better prayer life if we came to God and said, God, tell me what to do. Instead of saying, God, why aren't you listening to me? Let me ask you a question. Who's in control, you or God? Who's sovereign, you or God? Who's the king? You are God. Who's the Lord? You are God. Whose body is it? Yours or God's? Whose soul is it? Yours or God's? It belongs to Jesus. Hey, when we come to God, we say, God, whatever you want with my life. God, whatever would give you the most glory. If that means I've got to go through suffering and trials and tribulations, God, so be it. But I'm not going to curse you, and I'm not going to turn from you, and I'm not going to question you. God, I'm going to follow you whatever the cost. That's yield. That's God, you have the way. God, I'll follow you. God, let me get out of the way and you have the way. Come on, how many know that's not Jersey? But that's Bible. That's Bible. That's hard though, isn't it? Come on, if it was so easy to live the Christian life, why would we need grace? You know what grace is? Grace is a supernatural enabling to do the will of God. That means I need His grace to do His will, and I can't do it apart from His grace. You know, when I fail, I try to do His will in my strength. Anybody ever do that? How many done that and failed like me? I try to do His will in my own strength, in my own power. I try to do what I think, what the way I want to go. Don't we need more of God? You have the way. God, you have your right way. You know what we're supposed to do this morning, church? Right here, in this place. God, your way. Your way. When I leave here, God, your way. God, you, you go and I'll follow you. you. You tell me the way to go. I don't know the way to go. But I know that you know the way to go. How many are tired of going the wrong way and messing up? Falling flat on your face. How many are tired of not being satisfied with life? No matter how hard you try, how much money you get, or how much you accomplish, you're still not happy. Unsatisfied. You know what? If you just took what Jesus has for you, and you just received it by faith, you know you'd never thirst again. You'd be satisfied. Christians, we need to start living like we're satisfied with what Jesus gave us. Because he gave us his life. Is his life not enough? Sure it is. It's enough. What God wants me to do, he wants me to yield. The instruction, if God wants me to know is at the head level, what God wants me to believe is the heart level, the instruction here is at the hand level. What does God want me to do with my body? You know we'd sin less if we considered that fact more. God, what do you want me to do with my eyes? God, what do you want me to do with my ears? God, what do you want me to do with my mind? Come on, let's be honest, we live in a wicked world. And access to sin is easy. We carry it in our mobile devices. 
Come on, you get, you can, you can look at things you shouldn't look at. You can carry it wherever you go. You used to have to go down to those, those filthy shops to be able to do that. Now you've got it in your pocket. You know, access to sin is easy in this world. But you know what? Access to God is easier. It's easier. Because you don't need a device to access God. He's with you wherever you go. You have access to his presence. You have access to his throne. He is the door that by, by him, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go in and out. He is access in and out. Intercession in and out. You don't have access this morning to the holy of holies, the throne of God. You know where those priests used to go in the Old Testament? They were the only ones that could go in, those, those high priests. They could go in. Some only, only one time a year could go in that holy place and get the presence of God. Hey, believer, you can go in and out every moment of every day into the holiest of holies in the presence of God. But you've got to yield. You've got to yield. Because you don't want to go into the presence of a holy God dirty, do you? Yes, some people say that. If I go in that church, the roof will cave in. The building's going to burn down. You know what they're saying? I know I'm not holy. Here's the truth this morning. None of us are holy apart from God. We all know we fall short. We all know we're sinners. We all know in our hearts of hearts that we failed God. There is no sense in us gathering this morning pretending like we're perfect people. Because we know that's a lie. That would be hypocrisy. But we come before his presence and he's holy. And he's given us his righteousness. The question this morning for you, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I'm saying, I'm not asking you've been religious, you joined a church, or you went through a ritual, or you got baptized. I'm asking you, have you received the gift of God, which is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord? Have you endorsed that check? Put your name on it, confess with your mouth, Jesus believed in your heart that Jesus died for you. If you haven't, do it right now. Do it right now. You say, what do I need? Nothing. He did it all. You just need to confess and receive it. Say, God, I'm tired of my sin and my life, and God, I want your life. You know, he can hear you right now in your heart. You believe it, he'll receive you. He'll receive you. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Number one, yield for favor. Yield for favor, verses 14 and 15. It's because of God's grace that we yield ourselves to him. Isn't it amazing, verses 14 and 15? People use that to... Turn the grace of God into a license to live how you want. We're not under the law. We're not under the law. What are they saying? We don't have to obey God's word. No, no, no. You know what Paul says? Liar, liar. God forbid. Don't you use that verse that way. Why don't you read the next verse? God forbid. God forbid. That's not what I'm saying at all. He's saying, listen, you could never live this life because the, because the law demands it. Get this. I could never do what's right because the law says I have to. I can only do what's right because grace gives me the ability to do it. That's what he's saying. You're not under the law. The law, the law was a slave master. The law could not make you do right. No matter how long, listen, no matter how much people try to keep the law, they're going to break it. They're going to break it. Come on, you don't believe me, just try to do the speed limit on the way home. Say, so I'm, I'm trying. It's just five over. Everybody's doing it. Well, you can't go the speed limit on this road. You get run over. 
That's what we live in this world, don't we? You can't do right in this world. You get run over. You can't love people. You can't treat people kindly. You can't forgive. They'll take advantage of you. They'll run you over. Because you never do it because the law demands it. You can only do it because grace enables you to. Grace gives you the power to do it. Do it for favor. Yield for favor. Number two, yield for freedom. Verses 16 through 20. It's an easy, obvious illustration. The illustration he gives is master to servant. Paul is saying here, whatever you yield to becomes your master. How many know this? If you're not yielded to God, you're yielded to something else. If God's not controlling you, and be not drunk with wine, where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What's he saying? If you're under control of one substance, you're not under control of another. In other words, he's saying, if you're full of the Spirit, you're not going to be full of wine. If, you be, if you're full of the Spirit, you're not going to be full of yourself. If you're full of the Spirit, you're not going to be full of pride. If you're full of the Spirit, you're not going to be full of lies and bitterness and hypocrisy. He's saying you cannot be under control. You cannot serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. Now, some people do. They try to serve two masters. I'm a Christian, but I still want to serve this old life, this old sin. I still want to serve my, you know, I want to do what I want to do. You know, I, I, I used to be a party animal. People might think I'm crazy if I stop doing that. I don't know what you were before Jesus. You might have been a drunk. You might have been a party animal. You might have been addicted to whatever you were addicted to. But I tell you, and such were some of you, but now you're clean, the Bible says. In other words, I'm not under the influence of sin anymore. I'm under the influence of God. Yield for freedom. How many know that all sin brings death? Talk about the checks God writes. Let me share something with you. The devil writes all kinds of checks you can't cash. All kinds of checks. This will make you happy. No, it won't. This will give you peace. No, it won't. This will help you forget. No, it won't. This will bring you pleasure. Oh, maybe for a few minutes, but then afterwards, guilt, shame, regret, disease, death. Come on. You know I'm telling the truth. Young people are falling, uh, swallowing a hook, line, and sinker. The devil has bait on a hook so he can get you on the deck of his boat so he can gut you. Not, so that he, not because he loves you. He's not throwing food in the, in the water to feed you. He's trying to bait you so he can eat you. You say, what are you talking about? The Bible says the devil's a roaring lion walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour He's not trying to help you. He wants to eat you. He's not trying to help your marriage. He wants to destroy it. He's not trying to help your kids. He wants to tear them apart. He's not trying to give you peace. He wants to rob you of all your joy. He writes all kinds of checks you can't endorse. What God wants you to do is yield. Yield for favor and yield for freedom. And lastly, this morning, we're done. Yield for fruit. Yield for fruit. If you serve a master, you can expect to receive wages. What are the wages of sin? Can I, can I submit something to you this morning? I know we use Romans 6.23 for lost people. We tell them the wages of sin is death. But can I tell you that Romans chapter 6 is the believers. What's he reminding us of? What you get paid for sin, believer, is death. It's why you're going to die one day. It's ultimately what kills the body. But get this, because of Christ, nobody's going to kill your soul. 
Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You know what the devil wants? To kill every man's body and to kill every man's soul. He, he, he wants you to rot in hell, I'll tell you that. He knows he's going. He wants you to go. And if he can't have you because you've been saved, you know what he wants to do? He wants to make your life here of none effect. If you don't yield your members to God, you will have no fruit that brings forth. Hey, listen, what kind of fruit does the Spirit give? Sin gives the fruit of death, but the Spirit, what does it give? You say, I need some more love in my life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Yield to the Spirit. You say, I need some peace in my life. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Yield to the Spirit. I need some more joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Yield to the Spirit. Say, I'm struggling with controlling myself. The fruit of the Spirit is temperance, self-control. Yield to the Spirit. I'm having a problem with pride. The fruit of the Spirit is meekness. Yield to the, yield to the Spirit. That's power under control. What's he saying to us? Hey, yield to me and I'll give you my peaceable fruit. But if you yield to your members unto unrighteousness, the only wages you're going to get, the only payment you're going to get, the only fruit you're going to get is death. What did Jesus do when he looked at that tree, that old fig tree that didn't bring forth any fruit? He cursed it and it what? It withered and died. Now God says, believer, if your life doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit on it, your life is of none effect. It's good for the dunghill. We heard the special salt and light. What does that mean? If I'm not salt and light, I'm no good in this world. Salt is supposed to savor. Light is supposed to give light in dark places. God has made us to be salt and light. I need to make a difference in this world, and so do you. So do you. You say, oh, I know, Pastor, God wants you to make a difference. No, no, God wants you to make a difference. If he saved you, he saved you for a reason. He saved you body, soul, and spirit. When you die, if you die before he comes, he's coming for your body. It belongs to him. Why don't you remind yourself of that today and endorse that check. Present your body before the Lord a living sacrifice. Maybe you came and you asked God to save your soul, but as a believer, you never presented your body. Maybe what you need to do today is say, God, what I do with my body, it's all up to you. It's all up to you. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.